Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Who you know can be a big advantage in life, getting you that new job or investment tip, but it's not supposed to help you get a spot in a University of California school. However, a new state audit shows that four UC campuses, Berkeley, UCLA, UC San Diego, and UC Santa Barbara improperly admitted dozens of wealthy students over the past six years as favors to donors, family, and friends. KQED's Chloe Veltman has more. The audit looked at admissions practices from 2013 to 2019 at four of the UC system's nine campuses, including UC Berkeley. It found Cal admitted 55 applicants based on their staff and donor connections, keeping other better qualified students out. UC Berkeley undergrad and student association leader Derek Emai says such practices disproportionately affect low-income students, many of whom are people of colour. I'm appalled by this news, especially when our university prides itself as a public institution and values diversity and inclusion in their admission practices as well. In an email to KQED, UC President Michael Drake said the institution will review the audit findings and map out corrective actions in the coming weeks. For the California Report, I'm Chloe Veltzman. That audit does not reveal the names of students, parents, and university officials involved in questionable UC admissions. Let's turn to the pandemic. As they meet coronavirus metrics, most of the Bay Area and Riverside County here in Southern California have been given the green light by the state to partially reopen restaurants, houses of worship, fitness centers, and movie theaters. Here's California's Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Mark Galley we can begin to have this slow and stringent reopening plan for our economic sectors while not uh, seeing any early signs of increased transmission or any reason to move backwards. San Diego, which had a spike in cases tied to an outbreak at San Diego State University, narrowly avoided having to close down or reimpose new restrictions on businesses. And Dr. Galley also announced that the state was lifting restrictions on who can get tested for COVID-19. Testing had been prioritized for people most at risk for the virus, but testing is now more widely available, with upwards of 170,000 tests being conducted daily and nearly 70% of results being returned in 24 hours. But even as California makes gains against the virus and reopens, some elected officials are saying don't rush it. One of them is Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia, who recently lost both his mother and stepfather to COVID. I caught up with Mayor Garcia yesterday at a coronavirus testing event where we talked about managing the needs of the economy versus public safety. 
I fall on the side of safety. It will 100% have been, we actually had the slowest reopening schedule in Long Beach of any city in the entire multi-county area in Southern California. And while it was hard, we were um, incredibly cautious and have been. Uh, I want to open up restaurants uh, and bars as much as the next person, but public safety has to come 100% before any of that. And I think that uh, we are slowly reopening, slowly keeping the positivity rate is, is, is decreasing. And if we keep that up, we can continue to slowly reopen. We just can't do it too fast. We, we um, in many cases, have learned our lessons from the last few months, and now we just got to do a better job of, of staying steady. Slow and steady uh, wins this race, in my opinion. Even as there's economic damage done to the city, the city's earning less revenue, you're still saying we got to take it slow, we got to take it steady. We will never recover from an economic perspective or get schools open if we don't get the virus under control. So we can, you know, if we continue to, 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 to reopen and then cases go back up, then we'll never get the economy back. So we, we, the pain has got to, we've got to be ready to just take the pain now so that we can actually get over this thing. That was Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia. The head of Covered California, the state's health insurance marketplace, will testify before a congressional committee today about the importance of the Affordable Care Act during the pandemic. This is coming at a time when an opening on the U.S. Supreme Court could mean an uncertain future for the law. Here's KQED's April Demboski. The head of Covered California, Peter Lee, says the marketplace overall is seeing its highest enrollment ever as people lose jobs and fear getting sick during the pandemic. At the same time, state data shows more people are also going without insurance. This is the exact opposite of what should happen during a global pandemic, an economic recession. It's in all of our interest to have everyone covered, for everyone get tested, everyone get treated. Lee says whatever happens at the Supreme Court will take years to play out. He's urging federal lawmakers to take action now to make coverage more accessible and affordable. For The California Report, I'm April Dimboski. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. A new poll shows California voters are lukewarm to a ballot measure involving how gig workers are classified that's being pushed by tech companies. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer has more. 
Proposition 22 would allow app-based companies like Uber and Lyft to get around a new state law requiring their drivers to be treated like employees rather than contract workers. In a new UC Berkeley IGS poll, 39% of likely voters support the measure, 36% are opposed, with a quarter of all voters undecided. IGS co-director Eric Schickler. So in general, a proposition like this polling, you know, just 39% yes, I think it would probably be at least a slight underdog in terms of its chances for passage. Opposition to Prop 22 is strongest in the San Francisco Bay Area, home to the companies pushing the measure. The Yes on 22 campaign has outraised opponents and have flooded the airwaves with ads. But with the presidential election plus the pandemic and wildfires competing for attention, it's hard for ballot measures to break through with voters. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. A COVID outbreak at California's largest immigration detention center continues to grow. Nine people confirmed with the coronavirus have been hospitalized so far. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. At least 53 detainees have tested positive for COVID-19 at the Adelanto Ice Processing Center in San Bernardino County. That's up from 36 last week. Eight staffers at the for-profit facility, which is run by the GEO Group, have also been confirmed with the virus. Now, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement says they have offered to test staffers and all 750 immigrants held at Adelanto. They must report the results to a district judge in Los Angeles, who has already ordered ICE to release some of the most vulnerable. An agency spokesperson says detainees with symptoms are placed in medical isolation and all are provided appropriate care. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Across California, parents of school-age kids have exactly the same challenge, making sure their children get a good education virtually as schools remain closed because of the pandemic. But some parents have way more time, money, and resources to do that than others. From KPBS in San Diego, Claire Trageser has a story of two families with kindergarten-aged kids. Maya Ramos and Kaya Kagasan spent a recent morning relaxing in the hot tub and then climbing out to eat fruit and cookies outside. This is where the new kindergartners in San Diego will have their virtual kindergarten classes. Their moms, Nicole Ramos and Shafana Kagasan, formed a learning pod together and hired a private tutor for three days a week at $2,500 a month to help them follow their online lessons. Kagasan says, in some ways, this will be better than if the kids were in normal kindergarten. Maybe this is a way for us to be creative and reimagine the whole education process. So I'm excited about that. So maybe in all of this, there's something good that's coming out of it. A few miles away, Dania Hernandez is facing a far different reality. Just to not know what's going to happen. She works full time out of the home caring for young children. Her daughter, Jasmine, just started kindergarten. Hernandez's plan is for her mother to stay with Jasmine and help her do her online lessons, but she's worried that won't work out well. My mom will be there, but it's not the same thing as having a professional sit next to her and teach her and and give her the 101. I have um, other friends that are in the same boat and we're all, you know, we talk on the phone and we're like, what are we going to do? Have you found somebody that is going to help? And, you know, many of us are in actually in the same situation where grandma's going to take care of them. They don't know how they're going to do this. Hernandez and Kagasan live in the same city, but are having very different experiences. This is a small example of the equity issue at the intersection of COVID and education. 
And this is presenting issues for teachers like Jana Wilson. She's taught kindergarten for most of her 21-year career. But at the start of this school year, she's had to make adjustments for working parents who don't have the resources to create a learning pod. They're not gonna, going to be able to be with their child during our live instruction time or that their child is not going to be able to be present during the live instruction time for whatever reasons. My concern, of course, is, is really for those families that are just struggling to get by right now, um, essential workers especially, who are just trying to make ends meet and just give their kids the best they can, but they can't always give them what we feel as educators maybe they need. For parents with financial resources, one option might be pulling their kindergartners out of public school, but that could create bigger consequences. It could cause an enrollment dip and a corresponding drop in state funding to districts, which could then lead to fewer resources for families who don't have another option. For the California Report, I'm Claire Tregesser in San Diego. And finally, like palms and redwoods, the Joshua tree is one of California's iconic trees. Although botanists will remind you, it's actually a kind of yucca plant. But Joshua's are threatened by both climate change and development in the Mojave Desert. So yesterday, the state's Fish and Game Commission voted to extend temporary protected status to California's Joshua's. Experts will spend the next year determining whether protections for the tree should become permanent. That's opposed by some cities and real estate interests. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, September 23rd, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. Personalcapital.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.